literally every point in human history, a significant percentage of the population thinks civilization's about to collapse and the world's about to end. And it's always going to be that way. So we need to account for that in our perception of the world. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back. I have an incredible guest with me today. If you haven't heard of his books, well, you probably haven't been studying self-help or any kind of personal growth since this has been a book that has sold millions of copies and is known across the industry. Everything is fucked. A book about hope and the subtle art of not giving a fuck, a counterintuitive approach to living a good life. Mark Manson is with me. And if you're not familiar with this man, he is so active in sharing insights in such a clean way, comprehensive way to get a lot of people to get a taste of what it looks like when you start taking responsibility for your life, bringing concepts of personal growth, psychology, emotional intelligence, life purpose, and so much more. If you haven't been to markmanson.net, I would urge you to take a moment while you're listening to this to go to that website, subscribe and be a part of half a million people that are already subscribed, getting monthly and weekly content of the highest quality to make you think, play with your mind a little and really make you level up in the way you operate in the world. There's over 2 million people that visit his website every single month, reading these concepts of personal growth. And now he is here with us. He's going to be sharing some more insights about what's going on in the world today. Is everything true? fucked and I'm sorry for the profanity through this episode but we are going to use it it is the title of the book and so put your sensitive ears on hold for this one we really want to go into the root of the issues talk about what's going on what we can do about it and how to stay superhuman while doing it Mark welcome to the show thank you for being here thanks for having me now I wanted to bring something to light, which I think is really impressive from you is I'm someone who constantly sees your content, whether it's on Instagram, on LinkedIn, you have your blog, you're writing books. I know you have an upcoming book alongside Will Smith coming out as well. And it seems like you're doing a million things in a day where most people struggle to do little things in a certain day. So I kind of wanted to dive first into how do you manage to do all this stuff? Like what does a routine day look like for Mark Manson? <laughs> well, I would say, uh, it looks probably more impressive, you know, having all the things that you see, they're very, they're very much designed to be seen that way. My productivity is not as insane as you might think it is. Honestly, it's very simple. I generally schedule the morning for writing. That's creative time. And the afternoon is business time. I kind of imagine like myself as two people, you know, I have like, author Mark and businessman Mark. Author Mark lives in the morning and businessman Mark lives in the afternoon. And I try to schedule my day around that just because I noticed that like nothing kills creativity faster than task switching and nothing kills creativity faster than like a conversation with an accountant. So <laughs> I just keep all the business stuff in the afternoon. I have a great team that works for me and I, I deal with them in the afternoon as well. And then the morning is, is me time. It's creative time. I love it. And just out of curiosity, like what does that team look like for someone who runs a media empire like you around your personal brand, you know, putting this together? Are we talking about like hundreds of people, tens of people? What, what does that look like? Four people, four full-time people. And then uh, probably half a dozen contractors or, you know, people we, we regularly hire. But yeah, four full-time team members, 
they run the website, the newsletter. I have a social media manager. So all that great content that you see on social media, she's taking care of that, making sure it all gets out, making sure it's good. Somebody helped me with my email, my inbox, which is always insane. And then I get help with research, you know, so if I'm trying to write a new article or a new book and I need to understand the research behind narcissism or self-esteem or whatever it is, I've got somebody on my team that can go find all the most pertinent studies, summarize them for me and kind of point me in the right direction. I love it. Well, before we get into the root of the everything is fuck, maybe I'd love to just hear maybe for anybody who's listening to this, who might be looking to aspire to be a thought leader, wants to put themselves as a personal brand. Do you have any word of advice for people that might be following a similar path as what you've done? It's hard because the, you know, the best advice, it changes so often. You know, when I started, you could still, you know, if you posted a really good article on Facebook, you could get a million people to your website. Those days are long gone. You know, the game has changed quite a bit today. I think the most important things to ask yourself is, number one, what am I saying or what can I say that needs to be said but nobody else is saying? Like, that's the question that I always come back to with myself. What needs to be put out into the world but nobody's putting it out there? And then number two, where do I have an advantage in terms of, like, distribution, You know, so it's like if you're starting from scratch, you know, starting a blog and posting an article on Facebook, like that's not going to get you anywhere these days because you're not just competing with me, you're competing with like the New York Times and Time Magazine and Forbes and all these other publications. So you're just, you're not going to have an advantage there. So you need to ask yourself, where am I going to have an advantage? Am I going to have an advantage on TikTok? Am I going to have an advantage on video? Is my advantage short form content? Like, am I really good at like that pithy sentence that sticks with people? Or is my advantage long form content? Am I really good at putting together like a 90 minute podcast that just deep dives into a single subject? Like you, you need to ask yourself these kind of more strategic questions of like, where are your strengths? And then like, how do you maximize them? in terms of like getting the message out there. I love it. Yeah. I I mean, people do look at what was happening back then. And like you said, things have changed so much, but it's great to see that if you stay focused on that topic and really say the things that don't get said by anybody else, there is a way to stand out, which in some way kind of parallels as to how your books have really stood out because you've thrown the F-bomb right in the title, which I'm sure your publishers were rarely thrilled about when you suggested it. (laughs) And I remember, I believe the first book you wrote, which is uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which the one that, you know, really, you know, exploded around the world. I feel like your title was originally something around values, which is kind of a bit of the context of the book. So can you unpack that for us a little bit? (laughs) So originally, you know, I started writing the book before I had the title. In fact, I had a terrible title that I don't remember now when I was writing it. But it, it was essentially, there's a book about values. Like when you ask yourself, like, what is giving a, like not giving a fuck or like giving a fuck about something? Essentially, it's choosing what, what do you care about? Like you, you have a limited amount of energy in the day. So where are you going to direct that energy? What is valuable enough to deserve that energy? Essentially, is like, what is worth giving a fuck about? So I had written hundreds of pages of this book already and and I started to run into a problem, which is like, nobody wants to be lectured about their value. Like, there's nothing sexy about like, oh, my God, this guy is going to tell me about my values for the next 200 pages. 
And so it's almost like, um, you know, I, if, I think if there's anything that like I, I have done very well in my career, it's finding kind of important but boring topics and then finding a way to make them sexy and exciting for people, like almost like tricking people into reading them or listening to them. Sometimes I think of it as like a Trojan horse, you know, it's like, so that the title, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, it's very appealing. Like everybody worries about shit that they wish they didn't worry about. Everybody is stressed about stuff that they wish they weren't stressed about. And, and so it's kind of this ubiquitous desire that people have. And so they pick up the book and they're like, man, I wish I didn't give such a fuck. But then you get about 20 pages into it. You realize like, Oh crap, I have to choose what I care about. And fuck, I'm choosing these things right now. Oh shit, this is my fault, isn't it? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it slowly, uh, you know, eases you into the bitter truth that you need to hear. So I, I try to conceptualize a lot of the stuff that I write about in that way. It's like, what, what's the sugar coating? Like, what's the, the sugar that helps the medicine go down or whatever? I remember listening to a copywriter. I think it was Chris Haddad was giving a talk. He basically was saying, you want to tell people what they want, but give them what they need. And I think you've done a massive service to the industry where you've found exactly what was a, a want that so many people had, and you've gotten them to explore this idea of personal growth, taking responsibility. A lot of these things that I think at a core, when more people take seriously, makes the world maybe a better place. Yet here we are with a follow-up book, which is about how everything is fucked, right? And what I find is ironic about that is you released this book right before the whole COVID happened in 2020. So it's almost like everything maybe felt like it fucked, but now we know for sure that it <laughs> really is. And then you kind of subtitled it with being a book about hope. And so right now, you know, there's a lot of places and a lot of people where we're like, things look weird. Like there's a lot of pent up pressure happening, right? Whether the COVID is around, whether you're seeing some divide when it comes to vaccines, you're, all of this, I could name a few things that could just trigger half of the people listening already. And it's almost like I'm thinking, what's going on? Are we on our path to hell? Or is this the, the, <laughs> the, the pain before going to heaven? Like, it seems like we're at this crossroads. And I don't know if this is just a symptom of our time or if it's always been that way. So maybe you have some enlightening opinion on this one. <laughs> yeah, it's always been that way. We're not going to heaven or hell. It's, you know, so it's so, it's so funny. I, I wrote that book. I wrote that book. It came out in 2019 and I wrote it in 2017, 2018. And the reason I wrote it is I really started to notice. At first I started noticing it in myself and in a number of people around me. And I don't know if this is like a generational thing. I think it, it's just kind of a universal human thing. But like I started noticing it in me and some of my friends that like the better our lives got, the more upset we seem to be about it. Like the more we progressed in our career, like the more stressed and upset we were all the time. And uh, the more we achieved and, you know, responsibilities and financial success that we, you know, all these things that we achieved, like, the more we kind of like complained about it or, or were freaking out, like had this anxiety around all this stuff. And I really started to think about that. And I realized that like, there's, there's kind of a psychological advantage to having nothing. And that is you have nothing to lose. Right. So when I think back to at the beginning of my career, when I was like a broke dude living on his friend's couch, trying to start a website 
from said couch. You know, like I was anxious, but it was also, it was mostly just exciting because it was all upside. Like it was never going to get any worse than that. Right. Like I, (laughs) there was no way to go down from there. So everything I did it, all it had was upside. And so there's a certain amount of excitement and positivity that comes with that in a weird way. And then what I noticed after subtle art became hugely successful and, you know, my career exploded and suddenly I'm traveling around the world doing events. And I noticed that there was like this really intense anxiety that I'd never had before. And it took me a while to kind of figure out that that was the anxiety of losing what I had of like, Oh shit, I don't want to go down from here, but I've come up so far. It's kind of hard to not go down from here. Right. Like, it's almost anything I do is probably going to underperform this last thing I did. And that just like ate away at me. It actually was very kind of depressing and demotivating. And and I remember just spending 2017 thinking how like, wow, I've literally achieved like all of my goals and dreams, yet I'm like more depressed and miserable than I've been since I was like a teenager and how weird that was and how messed up it was, how it was like my life got so good that all I can think about is is how I'm going to fuck this up and how I'm going to lose it all. And then I, around the same time, I was kind of looking out in the world and I realized that the, the same thing was kind of true about the world in general. This is pre-COVID, of course. And it's like, you know, the world is safer than it's ever been. Like there's less crime than there's ever been. There's less war than there's ever been. There's more literacy. There's less disease. Like life expectancy is the highest it's ever been. Education's the highest it's ever been. Obviously, there's still a lot of problems in the world. And there's a lot of a lot more progress that needs to be made. But it just kind of blew my mind that like literally you have these generations of people who who have never actually dealt with any real hardship in their entire life as a culture. And all they do is sit on Twitter all day, like freaking out that the world's about to end. And so I kind of, I wanted to investigate that as well, how it's the same kind of thing. It's like, yeah, the difference is if you're like a soldier in World War II, or if you're like a a farmer in, in sub-Saharan Africa, like you don't have much existential angst. Like it's very clear what you need to do each day. It's very clear what you hope for. But if you're a 35 year old professional living in New York city with a good job and a stable income. You have a lot to lose. You have a lot to be anxious about. And it's very difficult to know what to hope for. It's very difficult to know what to look forward to or how things can get better for you. And so this kind of paradox around hope and everything being fucked, which is kind of the cheeky title I ended up with, but like this idea that the better things get, the more anxious we become of losing them. And the worse things get, the more hopeful we become of things getting better. Like this kind of like psychological paradox that goes on there. I decided to write a book about it. And, and the irony, of course, is that in the book, I, I wrote this. I wrote, I said, like, this is the reason we feel this way is because we've never actually had to deal with any massive like global hardship we've never had any big war or catastrophe that's happened and then covid hits and very quickly it's very easy to figure out what to hope for again and so it was a weird kind of like premonition i guess of uh 
a global catastrophe. (laughs) Well, it's definitely an interesting one that's happening and definitely not over yet. But, you know, from an outside perspective, I know we were talking before the show started is you're, you're out in New York and seems like things are getting back quite to normal. Are you noticing a different vibe within the energy of people now that we've went through what seems to have been the bulk of the COVID crisis? Are we seeing people having a restored hope? Are we seeing that there's even worse things that are happening or the, the, what's the vibe like and, and how do you, how do you gauge that? It's interesting. So New York has been completely open for two, two to three months now. And I would, if I was to describe the vibe here in one, in one phrase or one sentence, it, it's like people are not taking anything for granted. It was crazy when during the summer, like it was impossible to get a table at a restaurant, even like very mediocre restaurants. You had to book like two weeks in advance because everybody was going out all the time. You would walk down the street, all the bars were packed. People were just living it up and still are. There seems to be just a general heightened emotion that has come with the pandemic. You know, so people, the things that people enjoy, they're enjoying them more. And then the people, I guess the frustrations and the anger, they're they're experiencing those more as well. I know crime has gone up like almost universally around the world. It's kind of a weird psychological reaction, I think, that we've experienced. Is there any words of advice for us? Like, because I know in the book you're talking about how there's even this correlation that, you know, the more successful or affluent and the more things seems to be going up, there's even a correlation when it comes to suicide rates. I think it's some loose statistics around that that I remember reading and you know you speak about this anxiety that comes up so if everything is fucked and this is what's happening are we doomed to this approach because i even remember you talking about you know this might not have been the case as much when we were anchored to some faith that was out of our control like religion provided some sort of sense of purpose some hope and for a lot of people now they're actually maybe spiritual not religious some people are atheists and so is there any kind of prescription to counter this natural anxiety that comes up as we strive to be more successful because we naturally want that. I think a lot of it's just being very realistic about our expectations and then also just having an understanding of human psychology, right? So on the expectations piece, you know, I've kind of made it a crusade in my career to rail against what I call toxic positivity or toxic positive thinking. Much of what has constituted the self-help industry for decades I would classify as like a low-level narcissism. Look, it's great to have dreams and it's great to have goals and it's even better to accomplish goals and dreams. But this idea that if you accomplish your goals and dreams that like everything is going to be great and figured out, like that's just not realistic. In fact, a lot of times your goals and dreams merely introduce better and more complicated problems into your life. And that, that's a hard pill to swallow. And I think it's, it's hard for people to hear that. Or a lot of times people hear that and they're like, okay, that makes sense. But they still kind of chase after their dream thinking that it's going to make everything all right. So that part of it, I think is just, we need to get, you know, because most of us, you know, most people listening to this now, like do live in an affluent society where they do have a lot of economic opportunity like you need to get realistic about what that economic opportunity is actually going to do for you. Like, yeah, it's going to make your life better, but it's not going to make everything great. Like you're still going to have problems. And some of those problems are going to be, most of the problems will be better, but some of them are going to be worse. And that's fine. Like that's just, that's part of the bargain. 
And then the human psychology piece, <laughs> one of the things I talk about and everything is fucked towards the end of the book is that it just seems like the human mind has like a default setting for imagining problems. And it doesn't matter what environment you put people in, they're going to still perceive the same amount of problems, you know? So it's like pre COVID everybody thought the world was about to collapse and, you know, humanity's ending and, you know, the conspiracy theories and all this stuff. And it's like during COVID, everybody still thinks that it's just the character of, of those perceptions has changed. And then it's like, now we're coming into post COVID and people still think that stuff the proportion of people who are freaking out and thinking that the world is ending never changes. It's just the only thing that changes is the narrative. It's like this idea that we can ever get to a place where people don't think the world is falling apart is impossible. You know, in the book I say, it's like we need to believe that everything is fucked because it's only by believing everything is fucked that we're able to feel a sense of hope even if you're living the most luxurious, amazing, incredible life, your brain is going to find problems with it. It's going to perceive things to be wrong. It's going to perceive threats. That's just a fact of life. And so I think we need to account for that in our perception of the world. You know, when we look out in the world and be like, you know, God, why are people so screwed up? It's like, well, people have always been screwed up has nothing to do with COVID. It has nothing to do with politics. Like It's like literally every point in human history, a significant percentage of the population thinks civilization's about to collapse and the world's about to end. And it's always going to be that way. So factor that into your calculations. Well, I'd also add into those calculations that we've never had this a flow of information happening so rapidly from every corner of the world it just keeps accelerating and it's like i don't think we've been designed to handle this psychologically and given that we're always putting our attention to problems it's almost like you hear an outlier of something that'll grab your attention it can consume you and even if you look at you know the social media platforms of course there's a lot of talks about that but things that you're being fed reflects what your current narrative is so you're kind of having a feedback loop on everything should we be escaping that i mean should we be using certain strategies to kind of mitigate this exposure you know, it's funny, if you read Subtle Art, so Subtle Art was written in like 2015, 2014, 2015. I'm pretty hard on social media and Subtle Art. And then in Everything is Fucked, I'm actually quite silent about social media. I don't say much about it. And then honestly, in the last year or so, I have unintentionally, and definitely like I don't want to be, but I've kind of unintentionally become a bit of a defender of social media just because I think it's becoming the scapegoat for all this. Like if I was to boil everything down in like two or three sentences, this is what I would say. There's always a percentage of the population that thinks the world is ending and thinks everything is going wrong. Like that's just a fact. It's always been the case. It's always going to be the case. The difference now is that social media makes that cohort of people in the population much, much, much more visible than they were before. You know, it used to be when we were kids, if there was a crazy person who thought there was like a conspiracy to overthrow the government and take over the world, you never heard from them. You never, unless you like physically met them and talked to them and the subject came up, you never heard about it. But just due to the way the internet works, 
not just social media, but the entire internet, you hear about those people a lot more often. And so it creates this perception that these things are growing or that they're becoming more common. But if you look at the data, they're actually not. You know, if you look at mental health data, the technology is not what's responsible for the mental health problems. The technology is not what's responsible for radicalization. It's just the technology is making these things much more visible to the average person. So it's like you used to not know that there were so many anxious people in the world. Due to Facebook and Twitter, you're aware of 100 times more people. Therefore, you're aware of 100 times more anxious people. You know, there's not more crazy conspiracy theorists in the world, but now you're aware of 100 times more people. So now you're aware of 100 times more conspiracy theorists. I do think the technology needs to be managed, but it's like if you look at any era of media or technology, like every medium has its own problems. If you go back to like television, television was all fucked up. Like people, when I was a kid, people, people thought television was like ruining people's lives. If you go back to when my parents were kids, they thought, you know, rock music on the radio was ruining people's lives. And if you go back like 500 years, people thought that the printing press, you know, the fact that kids didn't have to copy a book by hand from another book to read it was like going to ruin people's lives. Again, I'm going to come back to the point that it's like, People always think whatever is happening today is ruining everything and that things in the past were better and things in the future are going to be worse. This is just the default human psychological setting. And it requires conscious effort to step out of that and to recognize that that is usually going to be incorrect. Well, for anybody who's listening to this, what I'm hoping this conversation has done for you is get you to understand that there's a huge amount of responsibility that you can take for everything that's happening for you within your life. Things aren't as fucked as you think. And what I would highly recommend from this point on, if you've enjoyed this conversation, is to go into markmanson.net. If you don't already follow Mark on the social media platforms that he uses, I highly recommend it. I find it some of the healthiest things to see in my thread because it's always something that makes me think makes me level up when it comes to my awareness around my emotional intelligence, make me understand a bit how things going around me, how I can actually have a choice. And I think one of your latest articles, Mark, were about how the medium is very powerful of a choice to influence your thought patterns and how books are still a very powerful medium for you to really grasp knowledge. So if you haven't picked up the book of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, it is a classic. I feel like most of you have already read it, but definitely grab a copy of Everything is Fucked if you haven't already. All these links are going to be in the show notes. And before we sign off, Mark, we're talking a bit about the future here. You have an exciting project that's in the works. I know you're co-authoring a book with Will Smith, I think it's coming out next month. Can you give us a taste of uh, what's coming up there? And how did you get started with this project? <laughs> Will has wanted to do a book for a few years now. And his team reached out to me, talked to me about it. And I told him that I was curious and, and interested and willing to meet him and talk about it. So I, they flew me out to meet him. He was doing a movie. This was twenty early 2018. They flew me out to where he was filming. And you know, going into it, I like, look, I never aspired to be like a ghostwriter or to do like celebrity books or anything like that. That's kind of not my wheelhouse and I don't really want it to be my wheelhouse. So to me, it was, there was kind of going into it, there were like two big factors. One was he can't be an asshole just because I don't work with assholes. 
And then two is like, there needs to be a good reason for me to do this book and not, you know, it's like, if he just wants like a memoir, there's a million great ghostwriters he can go hire. It's like, why does he want me? Like, how am I going to fit into this? And so when I met him, you know, he told me two things. He said, the first thing is he was like, look, like as an A-list celebrity, I've spent most of my adult life, like hiding myself from the public, especially in the nineties and early two thousands. Like it was he protected his privacy at all costs. And he said, you know, now I'm 50. It's a different world. Like I want the world to know who I am. I, I really want to share my whole story, everything I've been through, you know, not just the good, but like all the bad and ugly stuff that I've never shared before. And the reason I want somebody like you is I want to be able to turn these things into lessons for people. Like I want people to be able to read the book and like get something out of it. Not just be like, Oh wow. Will like got arrested and, did this and that when he was a teenager. Like, that's crazy. You know, he's, he said, it's like, I want somebody who can like pull concepts and principles from my life and be like, this is a teachable moment. Here's what you can learn from this. And so for me, that was just incredibly exciting, you know, to have somebody of his stature and it's just like such an opportunity, you know, to work with somebody like that and to reach so many people. So I agreed to do it. And, you know, we spent the next two years working together. He's, a wonderful person. I'm like so excited for him in this book. The book turned out fantastic. And the book is called Will and we called it Will. I originally kind of pitched the outline to him on that first trip. And I told him, I said, you know, when I met you, I asked myself like, what is, what's the one thing, you know, obviously he's smart and he's successful and he's got talent and everything, but it's like, what's, what's the thing about him that is completely unique that like he does better than almost anybody else. And after spending some time with him, I realized that it was his, his perseverance, his resilience. And so I told him, I said, I think the book should be called will and not just because obviously it's your name, but because it's about how to overcome obstacles. So that's, that's essentially what the book's about. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the project and bringing that home coming out next month. Everybody be sure to check this out. I know there's going to be a lot of buzz around it. We'll also send some links in the show notes so you can discover more about it. For all of you tuning in, thank you so much. This was a fantastic conversation with Mark going into a bit more about what's going on in the world and realizing that, hey, things are progressing in the right way. Yes, we'll have anxiety and we'll have issues come up, especially on your path to success. You'll realize that there's a bit of a duality there. As uh, Biggie Smalls would say, more money, more problems. So guess what? (laughs) We're going to have some anxiety come up. We're going to see that maybe we're not seeing all sunshines as rainbows as we expected it to be when we reach our goals. But understanding that this is normal, it's part of our human psychology, and that when you start getting into personal growth, and not necessarily just the sunshine and rainbows, positive side of self-help, but really getting deeper into psychology and understanding why these things are happening to us, how we can take responsibility, is everything that Mark teaches. And I really appreciate that he brings those topics forward because the more people that get to discover it, I think we're going to make some inches, movements towards making the world a better place. And we can always use a little bit more of that. Mark, good luck on your projects. Thank you for taking the time. And all you listeners, stay superhuman. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, 
you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver, where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.